In the name of God who creates, redeems, and sanctifies. Amen. Please sit. We've had quite a busy few weeks this last month, month and a half or so. Not a normal Sunday among them. I don't know if you noticed, but it's been sort of one big week after another, including our Senior Sunday and Confirmation and Reception, the week that Bishop Curry was here, not to mention his wonderful demonstration outside. Last week, I think we had a beautiful day outside, which was lovely, and I appreciate it very, very much. But now, we have sort of come to the turn of the season, to that moment after Pentecost and after Trinity Sunday. I actually was just saying to Sam in the sacristy that I I sort of bought us two extra weeks of white, because from now on we're green for a very long time. And we call this ordinary time, and it's different than some of the other seasons, right? There's a couple of feasts between here and Advent. It's not, it's not green every week, but it's mostly green every week. And unlike Advent or Lent, when we sort of hear particular stories and we follow Jesus through a particular story arc, in ordinary time, what we hear each Sunday is a little bit different. And it's actually pretty far from ordinary. I think it's actually kind of the meat of the year for those of us that would choose to be disciples. It's in ordinary time that we get Jesus' words, his teachings, the food for thought and spiritual growth that he gives to the crowds and to the disciples, to the people who follow him and are with him day by day. It's also in this season that we get to sort of traipse through the epistle and Hebrew scriptures in a different way. It's a little more plot-driven, and we get sort of a chunk at a time, so you have a better sense if you're following along of what those stories are as well. And overall, this ordinary time, then, is supposed to form us into better disciples. And what we get from Jesus is really important. It's kind of the, the standard fare, the words and lessons that we're meant to wrestle with each day, to become good Christians, if you think you know what that means. And sometimes the wrestling with these texts is easier than others. Today, we have what I think is a particularly tough text. There are a number of rough edges here in what Jesus is saying, a big couple of difficult pieces. And as always, there's some very good news. But if we look closely and we listen closely, this text asks a lot of us. So the best place to start always is with a little bit of context to understand what's going on behind the text. Jesus is sending the disciples and probably some others who are spending time with him out into the mission field to preach the gospel and to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near to tell people that Jesus has come and that God has acted and that the moment is now. Jesus is sending them out. And in the text surrounding this passage as well, we sort of get the idea that Jesus knows this isn't going to go very well. He knows, in fact he says in the passage just before this, that he is sending them out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So he knows that what he's asking them to do is going to be hard. 
He is expecting that they will face opposition in a world that doesn't want to hear the good news. Does that come as a surprise to you? Not so different than right now, right? A world that is challenged and broken and frustrating and doesn't necessarily know the good news if it's even looking it right in the eye. And so Jesus is expecting, and I think in some ways preparing them for the fact that they too are going to face abuse, physical, emotional. He knows that what he's asking them to do is hard. And yet if you listen to this text and the text surrounding it, it's also pretty clear that he expects them to go and do it anyway. He expects them to go and do it well. To go and love God's people even though they may not receive love in return. To go and give away all that they have and all that they are in order to share this message and to trust that in the end God will hold them and love them and keep them so they don't need to worry so much about what everyone else does to them. It's kind of a tall order. You can think of this chunk of text a little bit like a portion of a motivational speech or maybe a job talk, except the difference is that here you don't have a choice whether or not you take this job and the conditions might be worse than advertised. So let's look for just a minute at what he says. We start with this, a disciple is not above the teacher bit. So in keeping with what we've just explored, right? Expect that they'll treat you at least the way that they have treated me, if not worse. Now, there are many Christians in the world who will tell you that if you believe and you do the right things and you give your money to the right places, then God will reward you and life will be easy. In many circles, we call this the prosperity gospel. You may have heard of it. It's the idea that if you check all the boxes and do all the right things, then you and your family will be safe and secure and even prosperous. That God will make sure that you are wealthy and comfortable if you just believe the right things and do the right things. Except the problem with that idea, and we see it right here in this passage, is that there are several places in scripture where Jesus tells us point blank that that is a lot of hooey. And this is one of them. Look at what Jesus lives through himself. From the very beginning, he's hunted as a child by a king and a government that wish to kill him. He doesn't live in a lavish lifestyle himself. The one that we're told is there at the beginning of the time, the word through whom all things were made. So he's created all of these things, and yet he lives with a family that is poor, He's not living in a lavish or opulent lifestyle while he's here on earth, but he certainly could have. God chooses a simple family to raise him, a faithful family. And then as an adult, how many times do we track him through scripture where he is misunderstood and mocked and maligned? The crowds try to kill him on more than one occasion. In fact, if you were here last week and you heard that wonderful gospel passage that Erica preached about and she sort of nodded at the fact that it didn't end well, what happens is he's preaching in his own synagogue in his hometown and the people in his hometown gather him up and try to throw him off the side of a cliff. That's more than not ending well, I think. 
And then, after all of that, of course, there is his passion, the crucifixion and his death. And so when we talk about him literally taking up the cross in order to secure our salvation, what we're seeing him do is love us enough through his life, through his own suffering, that he chooses something different for us by the way that he lives and the way that he dies. So when he says that the disciple is not above the teacher and the slave is not above the master and that in order to be worthy of him we need to take up our cross that should worry us a little bit he's he's serious we too are sent to be signs in the world that god has acted and that the savior has come and to know and to be prepared for the fact that sometimes our good news our kindness will not be received but we have to do it anyway. To give anyway, to serve anyway, to love anyway. Or as our presiding bishop, and if Jonathan's watching it from home, one of his favorite lines is to hallelujah anyway. To give ourselves over to the work anyway, even if it's not easy, even if it won't be received well. Because that's who God calls us to be. So that's the first sort of half of this chunk of really, really difficult text. And I think it promises us not that we will be spared suffering, but that God will be with us in the midst of it. And that really is the good news here. That if we're willing to be sent like the disciples into the world to proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near in word and action, to live as people who know this truth and who want to share it with everyone, and Jesus has a lot of good news for us. It starts with this sort of cryptic line about the fact that nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered. Nothing secret that will not become known. Meaning the truth will win out. And you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be the arbiter of it or the one that makes it come to be because the truth will just come. It always does. It will win. It's like light. It can never be overcome and it always breaks through. So you don't have to worry about someone else, about what they're doing, about what they're hiding, about their worries or about the truth. Even if, in the midst of doing God's work, you feel like you have been hurt or slighted in some way. Instead, Jesus is telling us to let that go. To trust. To trust that God's truth always comes to the surface. A couple of places in here we're told not to be afraid. And we know, we, we hear that in scripture all the time. Jesus says that to us all the time. Do not be afraid. And one of the things that I always think about when we hear that is what it is that lets us not be afraid. And it might be different things for you, but I think for almost all of us, it's relationship, right? Because otherwise, if someone says, you know what, don't be afraid, but you have no relationship and no trust in them, that doesn't stop you from being afraid, right? It's a nice thought, like, thank you very much for that thought, but it doesn't help unless that is the place where you've put your trust, unless he is the one where you've put your trust. Do not be afraid. Even the hairs on your head are counted. 
and you are worth more than many sparrows. If God knows even the sparrows, then surely God knows you, loves you, stays with you. In the midst of all of the things that we started talking about at the beginning of the sermon, God stays with you, just as you are, right now, this morning, in this place with us or online, wherever you are, you are precious in the eyes of God. And even though there might be things in this world that will hurt, and the work that we're called to do is hard, even though we are sheep sent out in the midst of wolves, and all of us will suffer and have our hearts broken from time to time, nothing, not a single thing under the sun, nothing you can do, nothing you can say, will change God's incredible love for you. And you've heard me say this probably one too many times, but you can't walk away from it You can't get rid of it. You can't shake it off. You can't wipe it off. You can't undeserve it. It is yours. This minute, today, and for all eternity, you will be safe and wrapped in the eternal love of the Most High God forever. And there's not a single thing you can do about it. So here's the invitation of this text today, these two sort of messages, these two halves. Go into the world this week knowing that you have been called to proclaim the good news. In the way that you speak, in the way that you live, in the tiniest of ways, right? The little things that we do sometimes just because we're trying to be nice people, right? You let the person at the market who seems upset and who's having a hard day, you let them go in front of you, right? Those two, those little acts of kindness, that also is about the good news. And then, of course, there's the much bigger things, right? Like we saw with Bishop Curry a few weeks ago. We can choose to put our time and our attention into projects like that that make the world a safer and a better place. We can choose to be a part of racial justice and building equality and creating spaces that are safe for all people. It's the little and the big things, the choices that we make every day, the opportunities that come in front of us that we weren't even expecting. Choose this week to put your energy and your love into some of those projects, into some of that work. And when you find that you're met with resistance, wherever it may be, whether it's at the market or anywhere else, if you find that you're suffering or hurting in some way, then take heart and find company in this, in this community and in the communion of saints. And remember that you are of infinite value to the God who created you and who knows you better than you know yourself. There's not a thing that you can hide. Go into the world and acknowledge that God. Be loyal and faithful. Be worthy of the suffering that he endures for us by sharing this good news and by choosing this path of love over and over again. Of course, we all fall down and we all make mistakes, and we all fall short, and we all have to try again. But then try again, and be loyal, be faithful, acknowledge him before others and before the world, and do the work that you have been given to do. And if that's not enough, and it's not succinct enough, then I would refer you to a song that I love that I couldn't help but put in here. Perhaps many of you know the magnificent Ethel Waters and the song that she made famous based on this text. 
I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Amen.